Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. Brian is out today, so I've got my co-host here. Hi, I'm Micah Espinosa. Micah is, uh, and a lot of our Action 22 friends already know Micah. Uh, Micah helps out a lot, uh, pinch hitting for whatever needs to happen with Action 22, and he's been really involved for a long time. But uh, we've been so busy of late that we needed an extra um, hand on membership. So Micah is our new membership coordinator for Action 22. So um, if you're not a member and you're interested, uh, still email us at show at action22.org and um, we're going to take really good care of you. I'm excited to have my good friend Kate Greenberg on our show today. Kate, of course, is the commissioner for Colorado Ag. So she's the Colorado Ag commissioner and she has um, started out there was a lot to do, but she has really come on and done a really great job. And just to indicate how true that is, we were uh, in Trinidad the other day or earlier this week, and we were talking with our county commissioner down there, Tony Haas, and also we saw uh, Phil Wise or Phil Rico, who's the mayor down there. We were getting ready to do our uh, annual meeting, which is coming up October 15th and 16th, and you've gotten a lot of information, and we'll talk about that a little bit more toward the end of the show. But while we were down there, we were talking about Kate, and Tony Haas had really good things to say about you. He said he was a little bit nervous when he started out, but boy, you've really developed into the role, and it's not an easy one to develop into a role to deal with the ag community in Colorado. They're not really welcome to outsiders. So, Kate, you've done a really great job. So, tell us a little bit about how it, what your background is, and how you came to be the Colorado Agriculture Commissioner. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for those comments, and thanks for having me on the show. I'm glad we finally were able to make it work, and um, just love that you do this show, Micah. It's great to see you as well and talk to you today. Um, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Commissioner Haas. I've gotten to know him virtually over the last year. I've been doing uh, monthly meetings on Zoom with CCI with Colorado counties and just inviting county commissioners from all over the state um, to that monthly meeting to talk ag, talk what we're doing at the department, uh, how that might impact them and how really we can coordinate across state and local um, jurisdictions. That's a lot of our conversation that we have. So you know, my my road to this job was uh, a winding one, to be sure, but it always came back to agriculture and to working the land and being part of communities that care for and steward the land as well. I, I'm not from a farm family and grew up in Minnesota, um, most of the time in the heart of the city in Minneapolis, but a lot of time spent in Mankato and southern Minnesota, which growing up was the heart of ag country in that part of the state. Um, now is an outer ring suburb, um, which has been hard to see and a lot of folks dealing with that all, all around the country, um, but always loved um, ag communities and, and felt a part of that as I headed west and 
went to college, started farming, worked in natural resources, moved to Mexico, uh, worked on the Colorado River, uh, trying to reconnect the river with the sea, but I was doing the agricultural part of that, restoring native vegetation down there in the Delta. And then realized that you can't get into ag and natural resources without influencing policy decisions uh, at all levels of government, despite my best wishes of just getting to farm. And so at that point, back in 2012, I joined what then was a very new organization, the National Young Farmers Coalition. Uh, they hired me as one of their early staff to organize farmers and ranchers across the Intermountain West out of Durango. And that's what I was doing uh, from Durango, kind of building that work, building that national voice for young farmers and ranchers in policymaking uh, up until the evening I was appointed by the governor uh, to serve in this role as ag commissioner after putting in my resume and cover letter to apply for the job. So we have a lot of listeners around the country and international listeners. What would you, how would you describe the ag community, but also agriculture in Colorado? What does that look like, especially coming from a, a completely outside point of view and coming into that? Oh, it's, it's so diverse and dynamic, it's hard to, you know, collapse it into one description. So I think if anything, I'd want new listeners to leave with a sense of how robust and diverse agriculture in Colorado is. Now that goes from everything from our largest commodities, cow-calf operations, livestock industry, of course, being uh, the top, dairy, wheat, corn. Um, we're huge producers in all of those uh, commodities, uh, primarily the eastern portions of the state, which is our plains, as you well know. Um, we have a lots of high country uh, agriculture, primarily, again, livestock, uh, grazing, rangeland management out there as well, uh, and then tons of other production across the state. I mean, of course, we've got Pueblo chili in your neck of the woods, Palisade peaches, and the stone fruit production on the western slope, um, potatoes, barley down the San Luis Valley, tons of small-scale diversified producers who are selling direct to consumer and supporting farmers markets with their produce. Um, and I, I know I've missed others, but that's just a sample of some of our uh, largest and, and most diverse uh, production types. Of course, with that, we've got irrigated, we've got dry land, we've got private, we've got public. So lots of very com complex and complicated management uh, out here in Colorado as well. Yeah, there's so much diversity. And even within each category, there's so much diversity. Like we say potatoes. And for the layperson like myself, I'm like, a potato is a potato. But then you get into the San Luis Valley and have a conversation with a guy and he's like, actually, the best <laughs> potatoes for chips is this, the best potatoes for fries is this. Is this. It's, no, it's so true. crazy it's how much diversity true. there is within each one of those categories you mentioned. Well, and one of the mm -hmm. things that as we go around it, I don't know, I'm going to ask you to answer like some of the things that as you've been doing this job, has it been two years now? A little over two and a half. Yep. Oh, so I can't believe that, but a little over two and a half. Um, some of the things when I visit our folks that really surprise me. So I'm going to ask you about like some of the things that you're like, wow, it's kind of, you didn't even realize. I think about when we went down and saw Bob Mativi in the San Luis Valley mm -hmm. and I came back and I, I was like, this is a high tech production potato farmer. This is, and everybody's like, what do you mean high-tech potatoes? They think the ground, they think all of that, but it really is. I mean, they use cameras to like, and some, there's a machine that rotates the potatoes to check in on the potatoes. And I mean, there's all kinds of things. I've been really struck 
in the last couple of years with um, the technology that goes into the science that goes oh, into wow. um, the production that happens here. So for you, what's been a thing that kind of like, wow, has wowed you about Colorado Ag in the last two and a half years? Oh boy. I mean, I think you paint part of the picture of just, you know, how advanced agriculture is in the state. And yet it's not just about new technology. It's also a lot of old technology, finding new ways to apply it. I think a lot of that comes back to stewardship practices and, you know, thinking again about the, the Valley example, San Luis Valley, there's a lot of new emerging technology, but there's also a lot of work on soil health on water conservation, on how to use practices as simple as cover cropping or managed grazing to get certain outcomes and really seeing what our producers across all the different types of production and climate and soil type uh, and region in the state are doing to integrate both modern technology and this sort of renewed um, land-based technology, if you will, sort of the art of management um, to meet the needs that we're facing. Is, is pretty remarkable and that innovation is nowhere near done. I think we're just at the brink of, of some incredible creativity moving forward. Yeah. So well, go ahead. I want to say, well, like even talking to Tony the other day, he and I got into a long talk about um, how they're using drones to check on cattle and things like that. Mm -hmm. And when we were out in Lamar, uh, I guess it's been like two years ago, we were talking to the guy about how they use, they've been using LIDAR for irrigation. I don't know what that is. It's well, it's kind of like radar, but maps out like the the entire surface area. Oh, so they're using yeah. That. So I mean, obviously, again, it's it's really combining the way to use irrigation has been around as long as farming has, but to use lidar to, to help, li I, help yeah. lay that out is it's crazy. So you said, um, I think you said, art of stewardship or the art of innovation. Um, what's been a great example of that that you've seen? Well, I, I, you know, I think one example I mentioned is sort of this integrating cropping and livestock systems in new ways, in ways that actually can help improve yield while also helping with environmental outcomes like water conservation or improved soil health. Um, we see that with folks who are integrating a cover crop rotation uh, alongside their cash crop. You know, you take out the cash crop at harvest, you put in a cover, and then you graze that cover and you get all the nutrients uh, and some of the important soil kind of uh, agitation from the cattle being on there. Uh, the rancher gets the feed essentially um, from putting his, his cattle on uh, that rotation of cover. And then you're adding that nutrients back to the soil for the following year. That's one example I see, I see folks trying uh, to experiment with and really grow uh, the capacity there, integrating new systems into a, a system that's even more uh, well-functioning for multiple benefits. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of movement right now on, on climate and what we do around drought uh, and the changing conditions we're seeing, right? I mean, uh, hotter, drier is what we are all living right now. And we've all felt it certainly this year. Um, farmers and ranchers live it every day. And so there's a lot of, of, of thought, of movement, of, of experimentation going on of how do we um, get through dry times while keeping ourselves in business and our communities afloat. So we hear a lot and you know, um, we're, we're especially as an organization, especially protective or especially champion um, our ag community in a lot of ways. And, and one of the things that we see happening or trying to happen that really bothers us is um, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of people who have problem with farmers. They, you know, there's a lot of like, 
environmentally or what have you. But really, um, we see a lot of examples of uh, attacks on smaller farms to make maybe wake way for bigger corporate farmers or big corporate um, things. So Colorado really does honor and protect sort of their smaller farmers. Have you, do you think uh, the future of ag is going to be more, in Colorado, it's going to be more, or bigger corporate farms? Or do you think that the small family closely held, um, I guess, businesses are going to stay in place? I sure hope so. I mean, that's certainly <laughs> that's what we fight question. for every day. Yeah. Um, if I, if I had a magic pen and could wave a wand, we would have an incredible diversity of scales, but lots of independence. And I think the independent part of family business is part of what drives me um, in this work. That's not to, not to say one thing is inherently good or inherently bad or that we could ever have just one thing. We're going to have right. to have many things to continue feeding us, many scales, many types of operations, many different levels of efficiency. Uh, but the trend toward consolidation has been at play for decades. Um, and, you know, there was actually a concerted effort, you know, federally to drive folks to get bigger, right? Get bigger, get out. Right. And I don't want that to be our motto. I think if, if you get big and you can find success and do it in such a way that uh, protects community values and the environment and the uh, resilience of our food system, great. If you're small and can do those same things, we don't want the barriers to making your business work to be any greater than somebody who's bigger. And I think that's the struggle as we make policy decisions and funding decisions and as land prices go up, the smaller you are, it, it it can be much more difficult to overcome those barriers. Now, a lot of producers have gotten around that by creating these direct-to-consumer markets, right? You're not going to compete on two acres in a commodity market. There's no way. Yeah, right. But you actually could make more per acre at that scale in a higher premium market. So I think we got to think about that. How could we diversify market opportunities to keep all these scales afloat? Because that that is part of our resilience moving forward as well. We have a lot of conversations with uh, Colorado Farm Bureau on a lot of different things. And one of the things, other things that I was surprised to learn is how much um, the international market is looking to Colorado on, on their ag um, and what we're doing here and partnering with them or um, doing that, all of that um, from the international side. So talk a little bit about how Colorado is a player on the international market. Uh, well, we're a huge player. Our beef exports are among our top uh, exports as a state, not just within ag. Uh, we have a incredible brand recognition. Colorado lamb is a great example. Uh, many countries who are who buy Colorado lamb because of that branding, um, recognizing that we have a high quality product here. Um, our team does a lot of international missions. We've been doing a lot of international virtual missions this past year, but a lot of business to business development. So we'll actually take Colorado companies abroad and cultivate business opportunities for them in international marketplaces. That usually turns into uh, a two-way street, right? Then we get interest from those host countries essentially for Colorado products, knowing we create excellent food and ag products uh, for them. So 
it's really exciting opportunities for us here. And we take businesses as, you know, small startups who are looking to expand. We do this in the beverage side too. So, you know, breweries, distilleries from Colorado uh, get to be players in the international field in addition to our ag products. Um, it goes back to the previous conversation. We're very invested in our local food system and in scaling up uh, tremendously locally. Uh, but we are doing the same internationally, and we want all those layers to be working for Colorado Ag. And are those small farms, those those smaller, you know, two five acre farms, are they able to have the same competition on an international scale? Does that benefit them more or less? Do you think that international expansion? <laughs> Yeah, the, for the for the producers, for the farmers at that scale, they won't be selling on the international market. You just don't have the yield, the product for it. Sure. That's you're going to get your premium and the direct to consumer. That's where you you know you, if you the fewer middle people, the more you'll get on the dollar at the end. And that's what those smaller scale producers are able to do to make a living at that scale. Um, it's really the the larger scale production on the ag side that we're seeing you know has benefit on the international. When it comes to value added, though, we take you know, businesses like, uh, you know, I mentioned some, you know, breweries and distilleries that are small micro brews in Colorado actually have uh, a great potential to expand into international marketplaces. So it kind of depends on the product and, and what market opportunity there is. Yeah. Um, so we're going to have to go to break in just a couple minutes and I want to come back and talk about a few other things, but can you give us some examples of how, um, your department or your office is some, doing some specific things to help move that and develop those al along the way. I just want to hear like, okay, here's an example of how we did this, or here's an example of how we, how we did that. Cause I, I don't think anybody knows those things. Hmm. Yeah, we can, we can help from uh, business incubation. You know, you've got a concept, you're interested in starting a business. You're not sure how we have business development support. Um, so we've got, you know, webinars, we've got a podcast, and then we have real live people who you can call and say, hey, I'm interested in starting a, a food or ag business. I don't know where to start. Can you help me? And our team will help you. Um, from there, we also have, you know, once you start building your business, we've got marketing tools. Our Colorado Proud brand is a prime example of that. Uh, but also, again, real life people who can help on the marketing side as we also try and open up new, new marketing uh, opportunities and then as businesses grow, they'll really, they'll figure out what kind of market they want to enter. And we'll often work with businesses as, you know, individually one-on-one, -on -one, or again, as sort of cohorts going abroad, um, whether on domestic or international marketing opportunities and help make those relationships happen. Uh, you know, I think one thing that's highly unique about ag, oftentimes you get folks who are both the producer and the marketer, right? So you're growing, you're raising, you're um, value adding, you're, uh, you know, running the business and then you're selling it. And that's not always why people go into business and agriculture right. and food. So we help on the selling side um, and try and give that to support, support to businesses who are looking to grow. Do you uh, ever do any funding? Are you a funding source for anything um, in on the ag side in Colorado? Uh, not until stimulus hit. <laughs> in a previous year, I would have said, don't call us for money. You know, USDA is where the dollars tend to flow for this sort of stuff. And that's still true. But we've got this really remarkable once in a lifetime opportunity to get dollars out the door. 
um, through the State Department of Ag. We got 76 million in state stimulus just from this past session. Uh, that's in addition to what we're seeing flowing through the USDA as well to support ag. And a lot of those dollars are going to marketing, promotion, business development. We've also got grants for small and mid-scale processors of any variety looking to scale up. Um, we're going to have support for drought, for stewardship, uh, in, in line with soil health practices and renewable energy development. And then we're going to be uh, creating a revolving loan fund to help uh, beginning and underserved producers find affordable financing uh, to get into the business in addition to those small and mid-scale processors. So a lot of uh, resources flowing right now. Um, so I'm going to ask you, I know that you're not going to, you mentioned earlier, you're not going to be able to be at our annual meeting. Um, will you send us uh, some information on how some of our ag producers um, can access some of those funds? Absolutely. We are, you know, the legislature gave us very tight timelines for this funding because it's meant to be stimulus, it's meant to get out quickly. So some of those funds we are moving already with competitive application processes. Um, drought relief, for example, is open for another week till the 30th of September. Really broad eligibility. We just want to help people get through this time and also build resilience down the road. Some other items, though, are going to be longer term. The processing grants, the beginning farmer and processor loans, that's going to be over many, many years. Um, we won't begin lending until you know early next year, but that's going to go on for a long time. So I will absolutely get um, all the information we have, and we're always here to field questions, too. Um, those are going to be really important dollars, I think, to move yeah. forward. I, uh, the thing that uh, our, our folks are having trouble with is knowing what funds and how to access them. So we're going to partner with you on that. Um, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to visit about hemp in Colorado. You've done a ton of work on that. There was some um, some complicated or fairly complicated uh, barriers that came up. Uh, and I want to just share that story with everybody on how you kind of got over some of those and now how we're where we need to be on the hemp side. Uh, and then a few other things about um, some initiatives, some things that you'd like to see happen in the ag world in Colorado um, in the next 10 years or so. Uh, so uh, stick with us. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. We're talking with the indomitable Kate Greenberg, who is Colorado's Ag Commissioner, and she has done a really incredible job. And they say, you know, when you see somebody really develop into the role to get things done, those are the people that are really successful, and Kate's done just that. Um, So we have a friend, our friend uh, Kevin Wilkins down in the San Luis Valley. Um, uh, He's... Uh, I call him my Tyrion Lannister, okay. um, but he knows <laughs> all the knows things because <laughs> he drinks and knows things. <laughs> um, but he was working on some funding and he'd gotten some funding for some hemp projects, but there was a disconnect about farm bills and years and several things that happened. Um, and he, he called me and he reached out to you and I called you and reached out to you, Kate to see if there was anything that could be done. And we, I mean, we really thought because of what was written in the farm bill and which rules we were going with, because nobody understands hemp in Colorado's the, you know, some of one of the pioneering on hemp and uh, boy, Kate, you, we thought it's going to be two years before this gets fixed. Yeah. Um, And Kate, you seem to get it fixed within a couple of months. So tell us a little bit, for people who are not in the industry that don't understand the farm bills and not aren't sure what happened there, tell us tell us the story. Let's see. Okay, so Sarah, I think this is when we really like locked in the fact that we're so. just kind of rock stars together, and was <laughs> so grateful that you like you know reached out to me on this one. So on the hemp side, 2014 farm bill authorized hemp production under very specific circumstances, uh, industrial hemp for research purposes, essentially. Right. Uh, we, at that point, Colorado took the lead on creating a hemp program, uh, one of the few states in the country. And since then, you know, really developed our ability to both regulate and produce hemp in the state. Uh, 2018 Farm Bill 
rolls around um, and opens up the opportunity for legal hemp production nationwide um, outside of those very narrow parameters. So what happens in 2019, growing season, all of a sudden the opportunity of growing hemp for CBD at, at, at rates you can't imagine in ag, uh, everybody and their mom, right, tried to jump in to the right. game. And at the same time, we had incredible un regulatory uncertainty because while the Farm Bill had been signed, the USDA had not written rules. And hemp is interesting. I mentioned CBD because it crosses many jurisdictions. It's not just USDA, it's FDA, it's DEA, uh, because it was a substance, you know, a, a level Control one substance, substance right? Yeah. Controls, thank you, controlled substance. Um, so DEA uh, was, of course, a part of that. So. Um, very complicated sort of federal regulatory landscape. Um, after that 2018 Farm Bill, states were essentially told, okay, you can now, you know, basically run your own programs, but you have to write a state plan that complies with our rules. Well, there were no rules in the beginning, and then there were interim rules. The interim rules that came out in 2019, we didn't like. And we have a great working relationship with the USDA, so it was not personal, but we just called our colleagues over there and said, hey, this is, you know, these rules are not going to work for us in Colorado. They were they overly, are, they were overly broad and overly restrictive, um, and they were yes. going to really stand in, in the way of an, any kind of development as far as hemp, right? Do, am I remembering that right? They would have, yes, they would have done that and they would have set us back in time knowing that we we can already do this. We've already done this oh, as yeah. a state, even yeah. pre-2018. So I'm getting to the point of the story, which is how you, the day you sent me that text message and why it mattered. Um, I made the decision that I did not want us to submit a state plan under interim final rules that did not fit the needs of Colorado. The problem when I did that was that folks who were in the pipeline for federal funding that had hemp projects could not receive that funding based on federal rules until the state had finalized its state plan. So I made the decision that we're going to have to stick it out and, and do our best and to, to not lose that funding, but we can't commit to a state plan that we're, we're not, we can't actually commit to for the long haul. So we worked with USDA. Um, they actually came out with final rules that were much, much better. They really listened, they responded, they integrated our comments into the final rules. And it was somewhere in that period of time, Sarah, where you reached out and said, we've got a problem. We've got you know, all this federal money sitting in limbo. It's not reaching our communities and it's not reaching our producers until we get this plan signed. And to me, that that was just a kick in the butt of like, we've, we've got a hustle here. Um, so, I think I told you, I'll get with my team. We'll figure this out. Uh, my team went and figured it out. We, you know, we got the final rules with the change in, in the administration with the Biden uh, administration. They had put a freeze on rule reviews. So we didn't know if they were going to change the rules yet again. Um, so we had to wait for that. But they decided, no, we're going to stick with the rules. They're good. At that point, we, you know, we were really close to having our plan done. We finalized it. We did all our stakeholder work. We've been working with hundreds of people for the last two and a half years on this. We told USDA what we were going to do. We submitted it, and they got it turned turned around within weeks. Um, so, 
you know, it was a total team effort across the board, but it was very cool seeing how Sarah, you on the ground working with people who were waiting for real resources, got with me at the state, my team got with folks at the federal level, and we actually made that happen in a very short period of time. In a very short period of time. And I just, I wanted you to tell that story because it really was a big deal. Um, I was, and, and you and I had had met a couple times, but we hadn't worked together, but you were so reactive. And that, I mean, that happens for us a lot and, and a lot more than people would realize, but still it was impressive how quickly you, and so we looked at this and we, we, um, Kevin and I had lots of conversations and we realized that Biden was put, had put some holds on some things and there was just, there was a lot of things that were in limbo and we looked at that and we thought, okay, realistically, how long is this going to take? Yeah. And it, we were like 18 months to two years. I mean, that's just what it's going to be. And I think it was when you um, texted me back and you worked on it and you checked in with me and stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. Okay, cool. And I was like, there's no way she's going to get this done. Yeah. There's just no way. And uh, um, in any kind of timeline. And it was, I think it was less than 90 days. I could not believe it. And... The other thing too is it was it was that the governor jumped in at one point to try to get it done. Everybody did, and we just we were so we were so impressed. So as a result, a lot of these hemp projects that needed to be funded that there's all kinds of barriers are are moving forward. And Colorado is genuinely a pioneer in developing hemp in a really productive, impactful way. And well, I think I was going to ask too, like. When you create like that state plan like that, how big of a document does that end up being by the time you get that submitted? You know, we kept it we kept it as short as we could to comply with all the federal rules. So it's actually right. it's not hundreds of pages. It's actually readable. Well, yeah. it sounds to me, honestly, like I think. To me, it sounds like Colorado was really positioned well, but it sounds almost like you probably gave them a lot of answers to the questions they were struggling with. You know, kind of like you said, from a boots on the ground kind of level. So do you think that kind of we helped? We did, and that was transition. It it did. You know, we the fact that we had been working with USDA on this for for many years before we actually got the plan approved. Um, you know, working with them on the rules, showing that we are a partner. You know, they're they're doing their best to figure out a really tough situation. There's no easy answer on some of these questions, but we said, hey, we've done this before. We've had to deal with these questions before. Um, this is what we'd like to see. And I think that relationship, the trust we built, not to mention the experience we had as a state did really help set us up for success. Yeah. Well, those are the kinds of stories that I love. It's not things that you hear about. They're not success stories that, you know, they're not sexy enough to be in the media or anything like that. But those are the things that really, really make a difference. So I'm, I'm going to have a tough question for you, Kate. Um, and you don't have to comment on this, but I'll, then I'll ask you the question. This last legislative session was really, really rough. Um, and it was especially, I mean, every day we were, we were throwing fists about either energy or ag. If there was a message that you could give Colorado's General Assembly about ag, what would it be? Oh, that's a great question. That's, it's not an easy question, I know, but I, I think, yeah. I'm trying to think of, you know, the hundred members of the General Assembly, what's the one message? I mean, I think the one message we always try and share is that 
ag is fundamental to our state, to our economy, to our communities, to all 64 counties. And we need to work together to make sure that remains true for the future. And, you know, it's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to actually have people connect to what that means. And that's always what we try and do, especially when we can get people out in the field. You know, this is a watermelon fresh out of a Rocky Ford farm, right? That you get right. to experience. And this is what it means to have ag in our state. Um, you know, being out on the range and seeing just the beauty of our high country. And that is in part managed by um, ag producers, right? Like the water that flows through our system is stewarded by ag producers. So finding those ways to connect, it's not a thing that you can say, it's a thing that you have to show. And that's something that we try and do as much as we can as well. Okay, so last question for you, because we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about our annual meeting. But um, And it's been great to see, because um, you know our passion for the ag community, and it's, and it's the second largest industry, and we're international players for all those really great things. But um, I've seen you develop a huge affection for the actual ag producers, because you've gotten out there, you've visited with them, you spend the time, you ask the questions. So what's the future of ag look like for Colorado? It, you know, when I think you asked about 10 years before, and we're going to go through a lot in the next 10 years. I think it's, there's no doubt about it. Um, when we see the year we've been in just drought wise, right. And, and the impact that, um, hydrology that the soil moisture deficit and the mid elevation has had on our runoff, you know, even we had a decent snowpack, but we can't rely on that anymore to equate to runoff in, in such a way that will supply the irrigation needs that we've historically relied on. Um, you know, you see all those challenges that we're up against uh, and the pressures from development and, and our interstate obligations as well. Um, at the same time, there is so much passion and so much commitment and so much stubbornness. You know, when I go out, I've been out in the field pretty much every week all summer and everywhere I go, I hear, well, you know, this could be the last year I do this, but I'm just so stubborn. I think I'm just going to try it again. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I love it because I think like, that's what's, that's what adaptation is. Like, that's how we get through. And so when I think about the future and where I'm trying to like put our resources as an agency, diversification is a huge one. Going back to scale, going back to supply chains, um, what we saw with COVID when, you know, one emergency hits and whole system shut down. I don't want to see that moving forward. I want to see more dynamic uh, opportunities, more scale of our infrastructure. Um, I want to see, you know, diversity in our in our natural systems as well. I think that is incredibly important for us to be integrating more diversity, not less, into our production systems, uh, reconnecting a lot of these systems uh, of hydrology as well that are going to help us build resilience. Um, talking about access and equity, making sure that anybody who wants to be a part of this has the same opportunities to put their heart and soul into an ag, a life in ag. And I, that can look like anything from working on the farm or ranch to working in a lab. Like we have a, you know, we have a lab internship at CDA to get more careers on people's minds, on the, on the minds of young people. Um, 
And I want to see more young people coming into the business. It's going to be hard. It's hard to think about entering a field that where you're, you're going to be frontline struggling with the realities of these changes. Um, but the opportunities to get creative, to get innovative, to, to figure out this, this diverse, dynamic, resilient system um, that is accessible to independent businesses, right? Growing and scaling and feeding people. Um, that's what I envision. And we do it in a way that helps us adapt. Uh, and it keeps ag as a driver of our economy, our communities, um, our rural and our urban uh, ways of life in Colorado. Thank you, Kate. Um, <laughs> yeah, well said. <laughs> well said. I don't know how we could say it better. I think. Fingers uh, crossed, we can get there. <laughs> I think uh, we need to have your new tagline needs to be um, ad adaption is an exercise of stubbornness. Hmm, I think that's the I like one it. I'm going to keep. Adaption is the is an exercise of stubbornness. Yeah, that's pretty stubborn. <laughs> that works a lot. That works a lot. Well, Kate, thanks so much for joining us. Um, you can stay on and we can talk a little bit about the annual meeting, but we want to talk about those guys down there and what we're doing. But um, I'm just, I'm so, um, I'm so impressed with what you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, and I'm just grateful to call you friend. Well, the feeling is mutual, Sarah. Thanks for so joining thank us. We'll, so we'll talk soon, okay? All right. Okay, sounds good. Thanks. So we did go down to Trinidad, um, yeah. you and I, this week. That was a fun trip. That was a fun trip. Trinidad's beautiful. Trinidad, people don't know how great Trinidad is. So here's the deal. We're going to do our annual meeting down there, and we and I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, and I've talked a little bit about on the show, um, and we're going to be calling you if you haven't registered yet, if you're an Action 22 member, or even if you're not, we'll, um, and you are paying attention, um, because this is going to be a really great event. But I have to tell you that uh, um, Christian Reese, I was on the phone with Christian Reese, who is the director for Club 20. Mm -hmm. She's my counterpart for Club 20, and that's the, um, the rural advocacy group over on the Western Slope, for those of you who don't know but most of you do anyway. Um, so she called me and the very first thing she said to me is how cool she thought it was that we were going to do our annual meeting in one of our communities so that we could show off the community. Yeah. And that's really yeah. the purpose. We wanted to do this right. event down there. Yeah. Cause a lot of people just don't know what's out there. I mean, there's no, for a lot of people, there's not necessarily, they don't think there's a reason to go to Trinidad. Oh my heck. So you said you hadn't been to Trinidad. I'd only ever been to Trinidad on a school bus. On a school bus because you go, played sports and, to to yeah. try to beat them and then come right back. So we have, uh, of course, we of course we have uh, Tony Haas, who's our commissioner, is the uh, on our board. Um, he's the county commissioner, and um, Phil Rico, who's the mayor. And uh, and Phil Rico came a year ago when we were talking about the last annual meeting. He said, "Why don't you do this in Trinidad?" And we're like, "It's not an election year. Let's do this in Trinidad." And really, I wasn't, I don't know what I was expecting, but these right. guys are so excited. Oh man, rolled out the red carpet. They, even just for our visit, like everyone, the, the, the school president, the mayor, commissioners, they like put stuff on hold just to like show us around. And all we were down there to do was take some pictures, some photos, um, get some, um, get some footage for, you know, a commercial or whatever. So it was, it was great and we loved it. Um, but, 
there's a couple of things that I want to know what struck you when you were down there. Cause we, we loved the cobble streets. We yeah. loved, but what was the thing that you loved? Honestly, I think I just loved, like I loved main street, all of main street, the, like the eclectic architecture, the color, the colors. I, I commented several times. I'm like, I just love the color of this building. Of this. Yes. Like and, it was, it's awesome. And it permeates a history. Right. That you just want to discover. Well, and it's, it's, it's kind of, it is, it's a great place to do this because these small town folks are so proud of their small town. Yes. You know, every place we went, went to like that little, uh, little deli, little sandwich shop. And they were telling us about the history of the building they were in. Like there's, I mean, everyone's so excited to have us there. They want to show us around to show us the back patio. Like, Oh yeah. So we went and sat, I'd been there before. When I first got the job, Jim V Hill was on my board and I wanted, he was getting ready to get off the board. So I wanted to have a conversation, get some, some history for, from him. So I was down in Trinidad and he took me to this great little place that we loved so much. And, um, it was, it felt a little bit New Orleans-y to me. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to take you there. We go on this back patio and he had to take us around because of COVID restrictions. We couldn't walk through. So we walk around the block to get to this. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, totally confused. And in on the block, he was saying that there used to be a rail. Yeah. They call it alley A. It's, there was an actual like railroad that went like. That went through there. Through there. And so we go back there. And I thought it was, we could do an entire commentary on the layers of this back patio. And you could see all kinds of, like, there was a door up there. There's nothing there now. Right. The red screen door. And the waitress said. (laughs) (laughs) She, she, well, because we were like pointing at this door to this waitress. Like, well, you know, that's so cool that that's still there. And she's like, yeah, sometimes the pigeons get stuck in there. (laughs) She said it like sad. (laughs) And we were laughing. Um, (laughs) So here's what we're doing for our annual meeting. And this is going to be super fun and super cool. I'm going to say it now to all of our listeners. And I'm going to say it again at the end. You need to register to go to this event. It's going to be not only very informative, but it's going to be a whole lot of fun. And we're designing this. We've been working really hard. And we're designing this not only to... Um, show off Trinidad in a way you've never seen. And I promise you, after you're, you've been there once, you're going to want to go back. We're doing it during this their Spaghetti Western Festival. They're calling it Calexico. Um, so register, register, register. That being said, the other thing that we really wanted to do with this is we want all of our attendees who are these wonderful community leaders, um, everybody who's looped in with Action 22, our leaders in their community, but we wanted them to feel both fed and and relaxed when they get done. Like they've yeah. just, they've gotten a lot of really great information. It's helped them give them some perspectives and think about some things, but also just rejuvenated, rested, and have a good right. time. Well, I think a lot that will come out of it is, is the informational piece. Like we're going to talk about funding sources and things like that. Yeah. But I think a big part that comes out of this meeting every every year is getting to see there's other people who are working on the same things you are or yeah. are concerned about the same things you are. And that mutual support is going to, you know, give these guys a little breath of fresh air, I think. Oh, I, I think so too. And, you know, being the star Wars nerd, I always think about, um, they get you by thinking, making you think that you're alone. Yeah. That's how the, how, and so uh, let's just say if COVID is the enemy, 
it's made us think we're alone and we're nobody's alone in any of this. Yeah. So this is what we're doing. We're doing our version of TED Talks. We're calling them the 22 Talks. It's going to be up at the university. Um, we have, though, all of those are going to be bookended. We have lots of really great talks. Um, Phil Weiser is going to start us off. Governor Polis is going to end it in the middle. Um, Randy Gratishar from the Denver, formerly of the Denver Broncos, um, is going to be there. We've got some people, a lot of other people, you know, some you don't. There's going to be, um, there's, it's going to be really, really interesting, but it's all going to be about how we create Team Colorado. Um, and then um, we're going to have a reception at Philong down there. They've been very generous with us, yeah. um, super generous with us. We've got a wonderful group of sponsors, um, and you can be a sponsor too. We can talk to you about that. Um, and then we're going to enjoy the, the Spaghetti Western Festival um, downtown on Friday night. There's food, there's drink, there's entertainment, there's all kinds of things you can go in. You can get a tickets for that and what they're doing for the Action 22 um, attendees is you can get a ticket for the evening, but you get 20, it's like $50 for the ticket, but they're giving us 22% off. So it's just for the attendees, you can get it for 22% off. Um, And then they're gonna do on Saturday, there's going to be a Fisher Peak Explorer. There's going to be a walking tour downtown so you can see all this great history. We ran around. We're like noticing everything. The things that the locals might take for granted. We're yeah. like, look at this architecture. Look well, at yeah, this. Yeah, we I thought we were going to be down there for like an hour or two. We were there literally all day. All day. Sunrise all day. to sunset. We, all, yeah, we loved it so much. And there was always more to see and explore and enjoy. Um, and then uh, we're going to do... Um, we're going to do uh, a workshop. We're going to do two workshops. One of the things that we're hearing over and over again is how do we access all this funding that's available? Um, what are deadlines on this? Who all is funding what? ARP funds, all of that. We're going to have a, a workshop on that. And then one of the things that we're finding that's more and more and more important is public-private partnerships. So I was on the phone with Dave Young, who's the uh, Colorado State Treasurer, this morning, he's going to help us out with that. Some other people who have already done this are going to help us out with that. Um, so we're going to do that. And then we're going to have a really great luncheon um, to wrap it all up. Um, there's going to be some, like I said, we're going to be giving out some awards throughout the event. We're going to be recognizing some people who are doing a great job. Um, there's going to be fun and surprises all along the way. So if you have any questions about that, if you um, haven't figured out yet how to register, Again, you can just email us at show at action22.org or just get get in touch with us however you would normally get in touch with us and we'll get you signed up for that. So uh, next week, join us next week. Uh, We're going to have some interesting, um, uh, some more interesting discussions. Uh, And then this coming week, the CU president's coming down and with a bunch of regents. Um, We're going to tape the show, but we're going to put that on on the 14th, right before the annual meeting. Um, and my mom, who is one of my our most avid listeners, um, told me that she was just really disappointed that I wasn't making jokes at the end of the show. So in that spirit, hey, mom, how you doing? I know you're <laughs> listening. Um, I hope you have dinner ready for us when we get home tonight. Um, join us next week. We'll talk to you then. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time 
12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back. 